Welcome to Solo 2.0, an empowerment podcast hosted by two sisters living in LA, making their way through the health and wellness world. I'm Ryan Birch. And I'm Jess Dukan. Each week, we're committed to bringing you conversations with risk-taking, resilient guests from diverse backgrounds, interviews with experts on controversial or misunderstood topics that will expand your perspective, and lively roundtable discussions with our mom, hormone health educator, Candace Birch. We're driven to provide the support and motivation needed to ignite growth, confidence, and purpose so you can step into that 2.0 version of you. We can't wait to dig into these conversations and hope you'll join us every week for a new episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. I'm Ryan, co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. And I'm Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Bliss by Jess. So today we are diving deep into a topic that we know millions of Americans struggle with, and that is sleep. We're going to be dialing up Dr. Meredith Broderick, known as the sleep doctor on Instagram, who is a neurologist with an extensive background in allopathic sleep medicine and also the founder of The Sleep Guru, a medical space that offers telehealth services where trust, education, patience, and emotional connection are just as important as your sleep diagnosis, which is incredible. So before we give you a little bit more background on Meredith, we wanted to kick things off by having Rye share some of her story with insomnia. We know it's been quite the journey and adrenal imbalances, as well as some of the steps she's taken over the years to get back in balance and improve her sleep naturally. And I know Rai has touched on some of her sleep issues in previous episodes, but I have never been able to go deeper. And I think it's, well, this is the perfect episode to do it, but also going to be so helpful because I know so many people struggle. Um, But before we get into your story and tips, we just wanted to send a quick reminder to all of you listening, if you can just take 30 seconds to pause the episode and go run along and leave us a quick rating and review. And um, that would honestly just mean the most to us. It is the number one way that we grow the podcast and bring on more guests like Meredith. And so that 30 seconds to a minute is honestly a game changer. And we're also going to reward you and thank you for doing it by sending you a copy of my sexy swaps and recipe guide. So once you leave the review, just take a screenshot of it and then DM it to us at solo 2.0 podcast, and we will send over the guide. Yeah. And of course, if you just want to share feedback, positive, negative, we're always here. You can email us at solo2.0podcast at gmail.com or send us a DM. We are open always to improving. Yes, absolutely. We want to hear from you. Yeah, we love that. So, all right, let's get right into it. I didn't prepare exactly all of the things in my sleep journey. I'm trying to just go off of kind of memory, but um, it's not hard, you know, it's been my whole life. Yeah, so I was going to say, I think you know it pretty well. <laughs> I mean, and also point. I don't want to bore everyone with the details, so I'll give the cliff notes, but you know, our dad, um, it kind of breaks our heart actually still struggles intensely with insomnia. And I think growing up that probably planted a seed in my head beyond just being hereditary. And I'm interested in asking Dr. Meredith about that today. Um, you know, just how much your parents' sleep habits can impact yours, because I think a lot of it is mental too. Like when your parents are obsessed with sleep or have sleep issues, when you're growing up and you hear that, it becomes oh, yeah. an obsession for you, which I know it did for me. Hilariously enough, Jess is just 
this most sleeping angel just <laughs> never has any problems out before 10. I honestly feel so bad for people that don't sleep well because I just, I don't know. I just feel like, I don't know why I've never had sleep issues, but yeah. Well, it, it changes over our lifetime. I mean, you wake up at the crack, like you wake up early. I wouldn't want that, you know? Oh, true. So we all have different variations of it. And, but I think what I was going to say about our dad is that he, his issue was never falling asleep, having a problem falling asleep. It has always been that he wakes up in the middle of the night, 3am usually, and can't get back to sleep. And so that's kind of what we grew up with, with him just sort of like shuffling around the house in the middle of the night or Ugh. waking up and he just looked awful. And I like, remember like getting up and going to the bathroom and he'd be like, he just like reading a book. Been up for five oh, hours it already. Just, it honestly breaks my heart what he's been through yeah. for most of his life. Yeah. So there's that. And then he just, in re- more recent years, I feel like it's just gotten worse and he's getting older. Our parents are in our in their seventies. Mm-hmm. So it is concerning because now he's concerned about his memory and sleep impacts so much about our health. And that's another thing we want to talk to Dr. Meredith about, but he's trying everything and he has for a long time. He, he was growing up. Um, he did for a time have Ambien and he would use that seldomly when he really had bout, bad bouts of insomnia. But now in his Elder, more elder years. I hate using that phrase, but yeah, because it's like just so not apply. It doesn't. But yeah, they're not elderly, but like older now. Yeah. He's he's not on them at all. He, I don't even think he can get them from his doctors, which is interesting. But he hasn't been able to, so he's just been oh natural and weed and CBD and every tincture and supplement under the sun that Jess has brought him. Yeah. His Christmas gifts this year were just like all sleep. Pills. I mean, I feel like that's always his like gift. natural stuff, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, like anything we can a do to help mask. his sleep, his memory, all of those things. So we're still, he's currently, um, off everything and just going au natural completely because I think too many things was becoming a problem. Mm-hmm. And so well, that and seems with the sleep specialist, he, he recommended the, yeah. that he come off of everything yeah, and just go in it. Like if he can't sleep, just go into a different room yeah. and do something like read or meditate. And then, you know, it kind of like, I guess like detox in a way mm-hmm. off of all of it and just like be with your thoughts and be okay not sleeping for a little bit to kind of retrain yourself. Yeah. So, you know, we share this because it might be helpful for those of you struggling with sleep issues to hear with someone that has an extreme, actually, you know, insomniac problem that the thing that has worked best for him is actually coming off all of the pills and plans. And his, the sleep specialist said, if you wake up at three or four, just go read and it's okay if you don't sleep. Like just mm-hmm. you have to get to day after day to the point where you're tiring yourself out so that you're naturally falling asleep. So, you know, you don't have to go back to sleep. And I thought that was an interesting thing. I mean, ideally the goal is that you do, but for that period of time, you're exhausting yourself. Well, I'm curious what Meredith is going to say about all of that. And, and also, you know, I know, and we'll get into this more, but just because we're on this topic, there's definitely habits that mom and dad have that I don't think are conducive, like watching the news, you know, that's kind of disturbing and gets in your head and creates anxiety before bed. That's really the only time they have to watch their shows and watch the news or like eating too close to bedtime. Cause they eat like European style 
eat very late. Like nine o'clock. Yeah. And so he doesn't really have time to digest. So I think that there's certain things that have just been built into their habits that have been really hard for him to break. Yeah. And, and certainly asking her about that will be interesting because yeah. you've got to get granular at a certain point when nothing is working for you. It's even the fruit that's in your little yogurt before you go to bed. It's any sort of sugar, caffeine, anything mm-hmm. that you're having in the later part of the day. So having chocolate at night, he has yes. cravings. So he was eating this, you know, sugar-free chocolate I was giving him. And then I was thinking, well, maybe that's, you know, too much for him. And, and mom was even saying, you know, cause I was talking to her about, how caffeine disrupts melatonin, the master sleep hormone production. And when I was talking to her about that, she was like, oh, it dawned on me that dad's not having coffee before bed, but he has like a couple cold brews, you know, up until the afternoon and just even cutting those out have helped him. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone who is super sensitive, maybe even having caffeine at all um, is not conducive to your sleep, even if it is in the earlier part of the day. Yeah, definitely. And I didn't really realize that I don't know how I didn't realize this, that there's caffeine and cacao. Yeah. So yeah, that, that to your point, I, you know, I've had a lot of like chocolatey, even though they're sugar-free or whatever the healthy things are right before bed, that's something to consider cutting out if you're really struggling too. Um, but you know, we're focusing on an extreme example here with our dad. And I think from, you know, building your hormone balance and working with thousands of clients now, most people or a lot of people have sleep or anxiety issues, whether it's just struggling to fall asleep, waking up, or just sleeping really not deep enough. Mm -hmm. There's so many levels that you can be at struggling with sleep. So I have found a lot of things that have helped me get through my version of sleep trouble, which, you know, like I said, in why sharing that about our dad was that it, it did make me from a young age obsessed with sleep. Was I getting enough hours? I just always always struggled to fall asleep. It took me several hours and it still does take me a long time, but, um, I've shifted my lifestyle patterns now to, to get less stressed about it, but it used to take a lot longer to fall asleep. I haven't had as much trouble waking up in the night or, you know, waking up too early, but well, I'm curious just to kind of like interject, because I think there's been all these different phases of your life where you've had bouts of not sleeping well. So I'm wondering, cause you know, I can imagine you when you were young up reading your teen people magazines until the wee hours of the night, but I'm wondering when do you think it, it was at its worst yes. and what was happening in your life at that point? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So, um, it was really about after moving to LA and, uh, getting, kind of into that event marketing job or event production where I was on the road constantly. I had a lot of anxiety before every major event. I was in hotels, sharing rooms with people, not sleeping well. Then, I mean, I have major sleep problems on any trip. So I love traveling, but it's, it's kind of nerve wracking because I always will have trouble. Um, just because I have to really control my environment and I do when I'm home. So now I can sleep. But anyway, that job just threw me for a loop and every, you know, every, a lot of weekends I would be gone. Then I come home and have to adjust. And then there was like constant stress in that job. And then when I left that job, I was into a new phase of my life where I had no financial consistency. I was juggling multiple jobs. I, you know, week after week was a different situation about covering my bills. And so that kind of anxiety just 
launched me into a period of insomnia where I really couldn't sleep for days on end. And I was also getting all of these ideas about things that I wanted to do. Like the original solo, she only lives once.com, which was a blog I started with my friend Erica that, um, has turned into now this podcast solo 2.0. We don't talk about it a lot, but it is, it's a play on the word on the original, uh, blog. I started, she only lives once, which I still, want to relaunch. Um, but it has been years of these ideas and these visions for what it could be. And then came the ideas and visions for your hormone balance. And I've just constantly had these ideas for businesses and, um, just different passion projects that I can't turn off. And I, because I'm like, they're rushing through my brain. Uh, I would just like journal a lot right before bed and, and then mix that with like, you know, financial fears and having to do jobs I don't want to do just to cover my bills. And so it was just very, very hard to sleep. And then I would just, I remember days on end, just looking like a crazy person with like bloodshot eyes and, you know, having to do these odd jobs. And so I ended up seeing a couple different doctors and convinced them to give me Ambien. Wasn't hard. (laughs) Yeah. It's not hard. It wasn't hard. Yeah. And so once I got in, but also, I mean, it was a godsend at that time because I was like, I can't, function. I can't go about my day. I was smoking weed. Weed has always helped me sleep, but it can also, you know, explode the, the ideas that I have. So on the one hand, I love the ideas because they've come to fruition in many ways. And and a lot of the work I'm doing today, and it's hard for me to want to shut it off because I love that creative time and building out like, you know, different plans for things. I sound like such a crazy person when I talk about this, but, um, But, you know, obviously you can't have too much of that rushing brain, racing brain, because then you can't sleep. So anyway, I started just relying on the ambient to help me sleep. And then I uh, had to switch doctors because I had the worst insurance for many years. Um, And at that point I was with Kaiser and they were like, there's a limit on ambient just to 15 days a month. So that was my first like, oh, you got to cut it down to 15 days, you know, but then that same doctor was like, but I can give you in, uh, Xanax to sleep. Oh yeah. So that, so I had ambient 15 days a week and then a full 30 days of this Xanax and the Xanax, it was like a double dose. So only half of it, um, it was strong enough that only half of it helped me sleep. So I really had like two months worth in each prescription. So I was just like, no worries. And I would challenge myself all the time. Like Ryan, you can, you don't need it tonight. You don't need it tonight, but just having it there. It was like, I forgot how to sleep on my own. Did you, and I was feeling refreshed or does it make you feel groggy? Um, no, I don't think I woke up feeling refreshed, but you get used to it. It's like, it's way better to sleep through the night. No, that's and, like and the that's biggest win under, of all. That's why I understand, mm-hmm. you know, when people feel desperate, it's easy to judge and be like, Oh, don't take pharmaceuticals. But yeah, when you literally can't sleep because the few times that I haven't been able to sleep when I'm on vacation, like when I went to Italy a couple of years ago, I could not sleep for like six days and it was the worst feeling ever. And I yeah, just remember especially on vacation. Oh, I mean, but at any time. And it just really, I got thinking about how people struggle with this every night of their lives. And when you're not sleeping, you're not thinking straight. So people may think that maybe you're not the most intelligent person, but you're literally just running on zero sleep. How are you supposed to think? How are you supposed to come up with the words? And you have no energy. You don't have conversation skills. Your hunger hormones are all over the place. You're Mm -hmm. craving chocolate and sweets and carbs and all these things that, you know, in excess and processed foods because, and, and your hunger is just naturally up. 
So you're more ravenous and there's all of these, I mean, it's like a, a compounding effect. And, yeah. and so when you're in that place, yeah, I was asking dad if he had any strong sleeping pills. Cause I was like, this is too much. Well, you can't, yeah, you can't go about your essential activities yeah. effectively. So yeah, I, anyway, I, I think maybe what's more helpful is how I got out of it, but mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just forgot how to sleep on my own. Um, the biggest thing was that I kind of just decided I needed to come off at cold Turkey. There and was like was almost a sign point. from the universe that like, <laughs> I got a notification from the doctor at Kaiser being like, we're not going to automatically refill your prescription. You haven't come in for an appointment in like over six months. So we need to see you again. And I don't love going to, I didn't love going to the conventional doctor there. Cause it was just so unhelpful. It was really just to like refill my RX prescription. So mm-hmm. I was like, I don't need to go see her for this again. This is my sign. I need to just be done. So that was when I just stopped it. Um, and then I was also like starting to consider taking the anxiety uh, the Xanax just to go to work to deal with my boss at the time. And so that was, and Thomas was really upset with me when he heard that I had done that one day. So that was my, my cue to stop. I introduced, uh, CBD. That was really a huge game changer for me. And I read an article recently about like, is CBD snake oil? And, uh, there were multiple studies that have shown that for people with insomnia, taking it at a certain amount, which, I can't remember exactly how much it is now, but it was pretty high for like, for, cause I use beam. Um, mm-hmm. we had the founder, one of the founders on our podcast early on. Yeah. Um, and I, I've been given, they, they gave us some and that kind of got me going. And so now I do like one full dropper full, two full, full dropper fulls if I need more. They also have a product called dream, which is delicious. I love the dream. It is, I'm going to say expensive. We also got some of that for free. So that's kind of mm-hmm. what I've been using, but, um, it's worth it again, like versus, you know, what is your sleep worth to you versus getting on a prescription pill? That's going to be like a whole saga to come off of, unless you have total control and you only need like a little bit once in a while. It's hard yeah. to be in that place. Um, so yeah, the, the, the beam products have helped, but I, yeah, those studies were really interesting that even, you know, it goes beyond just thinking that it could be a placebo because they've done studies where they didn't, uh, they didn't know what they were taking and it was still helpful. So I I really encourage people to try that. I think also Thomas, you know, to my dismay would like tell me not to be, he would be not happy with me if I was journaling a million ideas right before bed, which just because he knew that that would get my mind racing. racing. So I think even just being aware that for me, that wasn't the best thing to start right before bed, maybe doing it earlier in the day was helpful. I did for a period of time, completely cut out caffeine. I, cause I realized there was a lot of sugar, um, or even natural like fruit and stuff right before bed, cutting out anything that can be you know, uh, awakening response for you. Yeah. Also, you know, coming off the, the screens right before bed reading has always helped. Um, I don't do enough of that, but all of those things have been monumental. And then I've said it before, but really changing my work situation was huge. My boss in my last job that I had to go into where I had a boss was very difficult and gave me so much anxiety and having to know I had to get up every morning and go in 
was just a huge source of my anxiety. So changing that work situation was major for me. And then also just realizing like, and I think my sleep problems are built into this, knowing that I am somebody that really thrives from working for myself because that way, you know, I tend to work a little bit later at night, but I sleep in later. I sleep till nine Mm -hmm. and I let myself take 15 minutes to get out of bed sometimes, but it works for me. And that's the natural state that I always tend to go in. I've always been a night owl. So allowing myself to create my own hours and, you know, hopefully with the world changing because of this pandemic and flexible hours, other people can hopefully create their own hours too. I wish more businesses were open to that because we don't all fit into this box, this nine to five box. And that was really, really hard for me. I, I, you know, getting up before eight is really hard for me. It always has been. And then I'm going to be in a mood and I'm not going to operate at my best because I'm still going to be like up late at night. Do you go to bed approximately the same time every night? I do now. Yeah. Okay. Cause that's a major thing. And I want to ask Meredith about that too, but training your circadian rhythm so that you're pretty much going to sleep at the same time and waking up at the same time every morning. If you can do that, I trained mine a while back. It honestly is makes such a difference because you start to get tired. Like I go to bed at 10. So right at nine 50, my eyes start to get really heavy. And then I just wake up without an alarm every day at six 30. And that's really what starts to happen. If you're able to start to train that rhythm yeah. when you're not able to do that and you're going to bed and waking up at all different times, um, it's a lot harder to get into that REM sleep. And I know it's challenging for people in different professions that have to do night shift. And I want to talk to her about that too. But um, I also did want to say that one thing that I know has been super helpful for you is the sound machine too. Oh, yes. I do require very perfect sleep conditions, so which sleep is why condition? it's hard to travel sometimes. I have the DOM sound machine. That's D-O-H-M. So <laughs> I turned it on the other night when Jess spent the night. She's like, is that what that is? Because it just sounds like a fan, Yeah, but it is a controlled fan noise. That's just very pleasant. And you can have the app on your phone, but it's a little bit more shrill. Oh, I don't like that. And it also, yeah, it's, I don't know. I did not. I tried to turn on the app one time and I was like, I I can't deal with that. But the Dom, it is nice at first. it, It does sound like a fan. So I had to get used to it, but then I feel like it did actually help me sleep. It really too. helps. Yeah. And then I got a sound or a traveling one called the ROM, R-O-H-M. <laughs> I think it's, off. I think, yeah, I think it's a different brand, but <laughs> it's super convenient and small and great for travel. Um, in fact, something I wanted to ask Meredith, Meredith about is for travel, like international trips, if um, she thinks it's a good idea to condition yourself and stay up late every night before you go, because I think that's what I need to do before yes. the next one. Wait, so I can't do you remember Justice. Yeah, that's where we about the app. I can't remember what it's called. I don't know, but we'll ask her about that. Yeah. I want to save some of the tips for her. I'm sure she has a thousand more. Totally. Also, melatonin is crucial, has been crucial for me. Our mom suggests from research taking a melatonin holiday, like a little break here and there to allow it to be most effective. So I'm sure that's important as well. So I do try to take mini breaks, but that with CBD helps me and my sleep conditions to wrap it up before we got to give her a call would be just, yeah, the Dom and keeping the room like below 70 degrees, like 67. I like it cold, which is proven also to be Proven. most effective. I have to have a sleep mask. Um, sometimes I have hot flashes in the night. It's weird. I've kind of like, just, I think my body just overheats at night. It's very strange because I'm cold during the day. Yeah. Got to figure that out. 
But um, sometimes I'll do like a cold washcloth on my forehead and put the sleep mask around it to keep it in place. And that also calms me down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that could be helpful. And then we got, (laughs) yeah, we always, we love the cuddle to start. Um, Sleep positions are important. Having a pillow also between your knees is good for posture. Um, I know there's different positions. We had Dr. Jockers on. He talked about sleep positions that are not good for sleep. I believe sleeping on your stomach is not supposed to be the best, yeah, it's not. which is unfortunate because that's one of the things that helps me fall asleep, but I usually end up on my sides. Um, and then we got a way lighter comforter in our apartment. We were having a thick one that was just, I was constantly burning up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all of those conditions are important and in a wind down routine. I now do all of my priorities for the next day and my brainstorming. I try to do last night. I was a hypocrite and I did it like right before bed. So my brain was no. racing, but normally I do it several hours before bed. And then Thomas and I have our wind down time in our show and, you know, something funny to switch into a different place of mind before, before we sleep. And usually do you watch something more lighthearted so that it's not impacting you? Yeah. Yeah, we do. And the only thing that really impacts me is like, I really can't handle, um, like murder stuff or things that could happen in real life. Yeah. So I really avoid anything murder related, but, smart. but that's, yeah. So that's my story in a nutshell. We hope that Chatting with Meredith will help all of you in any stage of sleep trouble you might be experiencing. And yeah, so, and also one other little thing, I love the brand Mayflower Wellness. Um, can't remember the discount code I have. I could put it in the show notes, but it's a CBD melatonin blend. And Rye, actually, you said it helped you sleep when I gave it to you on our girls trip. And oh yeah. 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 Last weekend. And yeah. That helping, was good. It's been helping dad too. Um, one quick thing before we give a little bit more on Meredith, I was just going to say for me, um, even though I don't struggle falling asleep, I do feel that a big part of that is having rituals and routines at night to help me, um, just get into that sleep state. And I really think that prepping and priming your body for sleep so that every night when you start to do those rituals, it's like your body knows that it's time to get tired and wind down. So a couple key things is just turning off overhead lights, turning on Himalayan salt rock lamps that have that amber glow, Um, you know, putting the flux app on my computer so that all the lighting is going to that amber glow, night vision on the cell phone, um, lighting candles, cooking with candles and jazz music, just like really having that calming state Petting Presh, I spoke in our last episode about how I'm not a cuddler, but I forgot to say Presh is making me a cuddler. Um, I love to cuddle with her and that kind of calms me down. And yeah, I think I'm doing like a skincare ritual where I'm just massaging my skin and my face and um, all of that is kind of, and then having like a sleepy time tea too. So those are some things that I love to do and that I always kind of encourage my clients to think about what ideal sleep rituals and routines would you like to have? So we're going to call it Meredith in just a minute, but a little bit more about her. In the late 1970s, a Midwestern family adopted a young girl from South Korea and brought her home to Ohio. She was given the namesake of a renowned doctor in her family, Dr. Meredith. His kindness and dedication to caring for his patients made everyone feel as if they were members of his own family. That young girl was Meredith. And ever since childhood, she has carried the memory of Dr. Meredith and the noble qualities he brought to his medical practice. 
After practicing conventional medicine for the past 12 years, she's been called back to her roots and says that the current healthcare model with rush back to back patients, quick inclination to prescribe and endless paperwork leaves little room for the kind of warm embrace medicine that Dr. Meredith inspired in her. She is drawn to recreate the sacred space between a doctor and a patient where trust, patience, and connection are keys to healing. She's on a mission to debunk the many myths and misconceptions around sleep disorders and offer virtual bedside sleep medicine that feels like a warm embrace. As a neurologist and founder of Sleep Guru, Meredith incorporates the latest evidence-based research with behavioral sleep medicine to create customized sleep plans to minimize the use of medications. She offers care personalized to your needs to resolve the underlying cause of your sleep problems. With specific tools, support, tools and support, you can finally become a great sleeper. Woo! Can't wait to find out yes. how, what she suggests. All right, we're going to give her a call right now. Hello, this is Dr. Meredith. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to chat with you today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yes. Yeah, we've been looking forward to this. Yes. We're honestly just going to dive right in. We actually spent the intro talking about rise past history with insomnia and sleeping issues. And I fortunately have not dealt with any sleeping issues in the past, but I've experience what she went through. And we also have a dad who's had insomnia for most of his life as well. So we talked a little bit about that. And so we are just so excited for all of your tips and your expertise. And we want to just get started by asking the obvious, but very important question of why is sleep so crucial? Why is it so important? And how does not sleeping well impact our health and our longevity long-term? Yeah. I mean, I really think of sleep as being the foundation of health, not just one, you know, important component, but I think it kind of sets the stage for all of our health processes. Um, Sleep is basically a brain state. And we think that it's the time where the brain clears itself of waste products and all the metabolic products that come from cellular metabolism. And if you think about it, we spend a third of our lives sleeping and it's not necessarily if you're living out, you know, hunting and gathering the safest way to protect yourself or survive. So there must be a really important purpose. And what we know is that a good balance between wake and sleep or healthy sleep um, preserves cardiovascular health. It lowers our risk for cancer. It reduces our risk for things like depression. It makes us feel, you know, have a more uh, stable mood and feel less irritable. So it increases well-being too. It's not just kind of the disease states, but it's also increasing our quality of life too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and the longevity, I think is so important too. you know, not realizing that if you're not sleeping well, you may not be living as long and that's motivation in and of itself. Um, so I, I would love to know what are some of the common sleep disorders and their underlying causes that you see in your practice? Yeah. So I would say maybe let's just talk about like the top one that I see in my practice is obstructive sleep apnea, which is a breathing disorder during sleep. You know, snoring is one of the most common manifestations of obstructive sleep apnea. Um, Daytime sleepiness is also a very common manifestation. 
Um, it's multifactorial in its cause. Um, the root of it is probably a combination of genetics, anatomy. Um, in, the, in this day and age, being overweight is a very large contributing factor, and age is a contributing factor as well. And then men are at a higher risk than women. There are things like that that we can't really control that are um, part of that. I would say that probably the second most common disorder that I see in my clinic is insomnia. We call it chronic insomnia. So that's insomnia that's lasted more than three months. So a lot of people, most people will experience some insomnia at some point in their lives. Um, when, they go, when we go through stressful events in our lives, we have difficulty sleeping. We have a little bit of what we call hyperarousal. So we're, it's harder for us to relax and fall asleep and stay asleep. But for people with chronic insomnia, it persists after some time. And we think that there are some predisposing factors to that in terms of the arousability of the nervous system. There may be certain life events that um, predispose someone, like trauma. Of course, that doesn't have to be present. It can occur without that. Um, but really, the model that we think of when we think of chronic insomnia is that part of it is a learned behavior. It's a conditioned behavior. So it's a behavioral problem in that the way the person copes with the insomnia perpetuates it. So I would say those are probably the two biggest um, sleep disorders that I see in my practice. Of course, there are over 100 sleep disorders, but those are oh, wow. the most common, yeah. And probably the word insomnia is thrown around a lot when maybe it's not always you know, chronic or technically insomnia. Can you define what insomnia really is, and also expand upon what you said that a lot of it is how the individual, uh, the habits that they have. Yeah. So insomnia is a symptom, meaning it's something that someone reports. I have difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, or both. It's a generic term. It's the same as saying like, I have chest pain. Okay, if someone has chest pain, you don't know if it's because they have acid reflux, because they have having a heart attack, or they strained a muscle. You know, there's different causes of chest pain. Same thing with insomnia. Insomnia is a symptom of something, but the cause can be because of sleep apnea. It can be because of circadian rhythm disorder. It can be because of, you know, a metabolic problem. It can be this behavioral type of insomnia that we talked about, chronic insomnia. Um, so that's kind of how I think of it. And so that's really my job when someone comes to see me is to try to characterize the insomnia and determine what is the cause of it. And is it this behavioral type? Because if it's the, this behavioral type, it's a different treatment than if it's a circadian rhythm disorder or if it's they have restless legs and they can't sit still so they can't fall asleep. You know, So that's kind of how I approach things. Okay. Well, I'd love to go back just a little bit before we do get into how you work with clients with these different disorders or issues. We know that you are in conventional medicine, that you are a neurologist. Is it correct for 12 years? Yeah. I mean, I still am a neurologist. I mean, sleep disorders is a subspecialty of neurology, but yeah, it is a kind of a, a super special specialized niche. Yeah. So how did you decide to specialize in that? And it, it is interesting because for example, with our dad with terrible insomnia now for so many years, it's been so difficult to find somebody to help him with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I decided to pursue a career in sleep disorders, my neurology mentors were very disappointed at me and they really thought this was not a worthwhile, it was not a serious um, academic endeavor. They wanted me to 
um, pursue something like, you know, neuromuscular neurology or neuroimmunology, you know, taking care of people with multiple sclerosis or things of that nature, neuro-oncology. But, um, you know, I, I think I had a lot of struggles with sleep. I, I think everyone in my family had a sleep disorder. And when I was going through my medical training with all the sleep deprivation, I, I really had a hard time. And I, also, was when you do neurology residency, you see very high volume of people who have strokes and die. And all I, you know, I caught myself always thinking, like, you know, how do we prevent this from happening? How do we, you know, and sleep medicine was the sort of very high yield, potent, non invasive, unexplored field that answered that question, you know, because conventional medicine says, how do we treat disease? Whereas sleep medicine is more preventing the disease and, you know, preserving health in many cases, right? You know, we're not waiting for it. Yeah. Can you, yeah. Can you expand upon that? The difference between conventional medicine's approach to sleep issues versus how you, for example, in your practice today approach sleep issues. Yeah, I mean, conventional medicine, I think, still ignores sleep as really important. I mean, I see all the time in my practice, like, there are people that should be getting referred to me by their primary care doctor or should be getting referred to me by their, you know, obstetrician or whomever or their ophthalmologist, all these different people, um, just because people don't get trained. I mean, when I went to medical school, which granted was, you know, a long time ago, it was, you know, 15 some years ago, I had one lecture in sleep disorders or maybe two in medical school. And we spend a third of our lives sleeping. Like, does that make sense? You know, so, (laughs) so, I mean, I think it's, it's a paradigm shift. And I, I think, I think younger people are more aware of this. I think, It's becoming more, you know, in certain academic centers where there are really good sleep researchers and and practitioners and clinicians that, you know, people are getting referred and there is, you know, there is access to that kind of care. But I think, I think a lot of people, I think it's cultural. And I think a lot of people think like, you know, the thing about sleep disorders is they don't kill you, you know, they don't kill you right away. You know, they, it takes a long time, the damage they do is it's sort of like, you know, having a splinter every day. And so you can kind of ignore it. And then I think culturally we feel very biased that, you know, you're just lazy, you know, you're, you're this, you're that. And if you really had more motivation and you were more driven, then you wouldn't need to take a nap or you wouldn't, Mm. you know, so I think, I think it's a few things, but I, I definitely think part of it's the medical system, just not, being kind of up to date with everything we know, but I think it's coming along. I hope so. You know, going to not to drag Kaiser, but that was just my insurance company going to that standard doctor that I had there. It was always a, you know, a 15 minute session. And, you know, I came to her with insomnia and being a pretty bad mess of having taken Ambien for a while and she was like, well, we can only give you 15 day supply here, but I can get you Xanax 
you know, and that was a double, that was a strong dose. So I realized I could just take half a pill, which was like two months worth of Xanax. Plus I had my 15 day supply of Ambien that she refilled. And that was all the help that I got, you know? And so what would it look like for me as someone, you know, I really needed someone just to say, we're not giving you this. You're too young. You know, I was early twenties to be on two different prescription meds and then just getting to this obsessive state where I just couldn't sleep without it. Didn't know how to sleep without it. So if I came to somebody like you, how would you walk us through your process? Yeah. So the first thing I do is I usually do a consultation where I just make sure that I think that the type of insomnia you have is suitable for an intervention called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And That is the gold standard treatment for chronic insomnia. The problem is, is that it's very time intensive. And this is one of the reasons why I recently started my own practice is because you cannot help someone in a fifth, you can't administer that type of treatment in 15 minutes. It's more of like, you know, it's not psychotherapy by any, you know, it's not, but I mean, it's a similar format or it's similar to maybe going to you know, a personal trainer or a coach that there's time involved. There's a relationship that's built. There's a trust that's built. There's education. There's learning. There's change and thinking. Um, So once I kind of assessed you and made sure medically, I don't think that there's a medical, other medical cause. I don't think this is from sleep apnea, blah, blah, blah. Then I would have you keep sleep diaries. We would get a baseline assessment of where you are now. So We don't want to judge your sleep with emotions, how you feel from day to day. We want to judge it using objective data. I also often use a tool called Actigraphy, which is a medical grade sleep tracker. It also tracks things like activity and um, light exposure, light intensity exposure um, throughout the day. We would gather that for about a week's time and I would see where you are. And generally there's there are, you know, a handful of different components that contribute to these perpetuating factors or behaviors. And we look at those and I'm generally able to tell from assessing someone which of them stand out the most. And usually for, for people there, it's not all of them. It's like a few. So like for some people, it can really be like the beliefs they have. Like, I've never been a good sleeper. My parents, everybody's told me I'm never a good sleeper. Um, I have to sleep eight hours or else, you know, or else, you know, catastrophe, you know, for other people, it's they're drinking too much caffeine and they're drinking alcohol and they're sleeping in on the weekends. And, you know, so there's different things for different people and it's kind of zeroing in on that. And so then I work with that person to discuss how do we, how do we change those things? How do we restructure? Let's rebuild your sleep schedule from scratch. Let's get the foundation Let's figure out when your bedtime should be, when your wake time should be. Let's figure out how much time you should be spending in bed. Let's discuss how you respond when you're not sleeping. Let's discuss the thoughts that you have. Let's, let's challenge those thoughts. Let's see if they're true. You know, and, and this usually goes on for about four to six visits. I usually do like a 45 to hour visit with people. There's reading involved. There's education involved. Um, and so I don't know, is that, does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It sounds super thorough and helpful. I yeah. honestly wanted 
to send dad your information. We will be sending, we will, well, yeah, right we'll away. be sending him to you, of course. Yes. <laughs> ASAP. I would love to go back because I think that we can dig into a lot of what you just said, but specifically around, I think, just rewording what you said, but people identifying themselves in a certain way of like, oh, I just don't sleep or I'm an insomniac. Even just, I think, saying that, um, you know, I, I work with clients as a health coach. So I coach a lot on, you know, you, you don't want to announce that you are something that you don't want to manifest more of. So like, I'm a binge eater. Then you just associate yourself with being a binge eater. And it's really hard to break away from that. So I kind of hear similarities in what you're saying of like getting away from that mindset and creating this identity around not being a sleeper. So what are some things that you do to help your clients sort of shift that mentality and that mindset? Yeah. So there's different, there are different behavioral techniques that we use. Um, so you know, the simplest one is probably distraction. I mean, so I think the, like the, you know, the oldest one is counting sheep, right? So when people start to have those thoughts, they, they use a distraction. Sleep casts are really popular now, like the podcasts that people have. Um, mm -hmm. There's also different techniques. Um, one's called cognitive diffusion. There's also one called cognitive restructuring. But essentially what you're doing is it's almost like a mindfulness practice where you know, you have the person write down the negative sleep thoughts that they have. We call them negative sleep thoughts. Okay. So my negative sleep thought, and it's funny because some people have them, but they don't realize it. You'll ask them like, are you experiencing anxiety? What's going through your mind? Nothing. I feel fine. It's not like I'm worried about anything. But when you ask them to, to observe what happens when they're awake, you, people will become aware because there's always thoughts going through our mind, right? Yeah. So, you know, let's take, let's take one, a very common one is, oh no, you know, I'm not going to, it's going to be a horrible day tomorrow. You know, I'm, you know, I'm never going to fall back to sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, we, we, we challenge that thought and say, is that true? Like, let's look at your sleep diary for the past week. How often did it happen that you actually never fall back to sleep? And, you know, people will see like, oh, well, yeah, I did. Eventually I do usually fall back to sleep. And so you kind of help people reframe that, reframe the thinking, well, yes, this is unpleasant. Yes, I'm, I'm not sleeping, but I've been through this before. I'm going to survive it again today. And I might not feel my best, but worrying about it or going through this, you know, negative sleep thoughts is, is not productive. In fact, it's making me feel anxious. And the more anxious I feel or upset or frustrated, the less likely I am to fall back to sleep. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to, you know, help train people not to struggle, not to fight against it, not to force the sleep but to let it come, like to sort of observe that it's happening and back away from it with kind of being non, non judgmental. Mm, I love that. Yeah. yeah how, that's so helpful. how about common culprits in our diet that can impact our sleep? I mean, I think in general, this is something I'm definitely learning more about, but I mean, it, it's, High carbohydrate diets, for example, like that's something there's a lot of evidence for that can impact sleep quality. Um, but I think just in general, what I would say is like not eating right before bedtime, because when, you know, 
when your blood supply and your digestion has to be at work, it's, you know, that, that can interrupt the sleep quality. Um, we're also laying down. So it's harder to like, you know, people get reflux and things like that. So, I mean, I think it's just having a healthy diet, you know, and the low carb thing I think is big. I think beyond that, it's, it's hard for me to really be specific. Like I can't say like, oh, the paleo diet's better or being a vegetarian is better. Like, I don't know that those things have really been shown to make a difference, but it's more of just like the general, like eat healthy, don't be overweight, you know? Well, cause I've noticed, for example, um, read some studies lately that showed that caffeine can actually impact the production of melatonin, the master sleep hormone. And I was sharing in the intro that our dad was doing like a lot of coffee in the beginning part of the day, but not thinking that it was impacting his sleep because it was earlier in the day. But now that he's cut it out, he realizes that although he's not cured of insomnia, he does sleep better without it. So I'm curious if there's like key factors like caffeine or even sugar, yeah, be- sugar, sugar chocolate. Them. Have you seen that being something that comes up? Yeah. I mean, for sure. Like I think of all the things, like the strongest evidence I've seen is like the high carb. So if you are eating a lot of sugar, you're eating high carb and then caffeine connecting to melatonin. I mean, that's, that's probably way less important than the fact that caffeine is a stimulant and it blocks adenosine and adenosine is a really important neurotransmitter for generating our deepest stage of sleep. And what happens to people is, you know, when you're young, I mean, think about when you're, I mean, you guys are still really young, but like when you're young, you can have like three or four alcoholic drinks and like be, you know, not be like blacked out when you get older. I mean, that just knocks you on the ground. And then you're like, you're just done the next day because the reason why is because we don't metabolize those substances as well. And the same thing happens with caffeine. And so what happens is someone might start having two cups of coffee when they're in their twenties or in their thirties, but they just continue it into, you know, their fifties or sixties. And then all of a sudden, like it's in their bloodstream and it, it does very much affect sleep quality. So arousals, the depth of sleep, the consolidation, and then also, very common for it to cause urination, need to urinate in the night too. Mm, So for people that really struggle with insomnia, do you have them completely cut out caffeine or is it kind of like a case by case basis? Um, It's a case by case basis. And it really depends on things like when I, you know, I, it depends on a couple of things. One, how much do I feel like that's a factor? Because like I, when I assess someone, I can tell how much that versus other things is playing a role, but also things like, um, if it's a younger person, for example, I'm not, I know they're probably going to metabolize it faster. Some people can, some people have no problem. Like they're like, oh, that's easy. I can go off of it. And so of course, like we'll want to add that to our, to our things that we can do, but for other people that really enjoy it, or they're just that's going to be a harder move for them. I might say, let's just cut it down. Like, let's just go 75% on that. And let's just Mm -hmm. have, or let's only have one in the morning. And then you're going to do decaf if you have anything in the afternoon, or you're going to have half calf. So we just, we try to make it better. We try to slide things in that direction and see what, what happens. 
And what about alcohol? Because I think that that's something that, you know, a common root cause, obviously, of not sleeping is stress. And when people are stressed, they come home after a crazy day and their wine down is pouring a glass of red wine and just relaxing. And so if alcohol is impacting your sleep, is that to say that you should never have alcohol before bed if you want to sleep well? Or how does that conversation work with someone if they're trying to, you know, have a healthy, balanced lifestyle? Yeah. I mean, what I tell my patients is, and again, it depends on the person, right? I mean, if you have somebody who is a passionate wine lover and it's part of something that they travel around and it's what they do, like you're not getting that person to stop drinking wine, right? Like, but so I take that into consideration, but there is a cost benefit ratio. And what I tell people is, you know, if you, if you are not a good sleeper, it's something you can't ignore as a contributing factor. You know, the same way that if you're diabetic, like you're not going to have a candy bar before you go to bed. I mean, that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And just because your wife does it or your roommate does it and they have no problem. If you're someone who struggles with sleep, like you, that's something you can't ignore. So you just have to think about, you have to say, is this worth it to me to, to have this? Because it, it, it makes us fall asleep faster. It has a sedative property, but it steals our deep sleep. And usually when it wears off, we wake up with sympathetic arousal. So a lot of times people wake up in the middle of the night, feel anxious, their heart might be racing, and then it's difficult to fall back to sleep. And then, you know, it's just not worth it if you're struggling with insomnia, you know? And I always tell people like, let's just do an experiment where you don't drink for 90 days and let's just see if you like your life better. You know, like I'm not asking you to give it up forever. Let's just do an experiment, you know, and see where you are. See if you like what matters more to you. Yeah, exactly. Just like with anything else, it's like, there's probably going to be some times where you decide to have more wine and you kind of just know that you may not sleep as well that night, but it's okay because you want that experience. Um, do you, do you find that it makes a difference to have alcohol? Let's say if, if they did want to have wine with brunch, you know, earlier in the day, if that was, you know, if there was a choice between the two. Yeah, it does help to have it earlier in the day because you, you will have metabolized it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, interestingly, like being a neurologist in my background, there is some benefit to drinking wine from a cardiovascular standpoint, because we think there are these flavonoids in there. We think that, you know, thinning the blood a little bit too is healthy. So, you know, it isn't just all bad. You know, there are some people that have a couple glasses of wine and they sleep fine and they're never going to have trouble sleeping. So it's really like just kind of weighing that risk and benefit, you know, scale and saying what's better for me. Yeah. Well, that's why this specialized individualized care is so important because we are so, so different and why we need to work with someone ongoing that's going deep with us. So last question on sort of a substance related diet related uh, topic before we get into some of the other factors that can impact sleep. How about marijuana? Because I will say I have always had sleep trouble. Once I found weed that helped me sleep in a major way. It also like opens up my ideas and all of these things that can be problematic for my sleep, but still I do use it to help me sleep. And I've had way less problems since introducing it, but at the same time, I've heard that it can also make it harder to get into deeper REM sleep, which is interesting. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, 
Very much shades of gray. Right now, there is no real solid evidence that it is effective for any sleep disorder. Like, you know, I, I think we talked a little bit earlier in this in this discussion about the power of thoughts. And I think when it comes to medicating for sleep, a lot of the benefit comes from that. It comes from the belief that this is helping me. And so I don't, I don't like to recommend that to people. Like I would never tell you like, please go try this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, it's yeah. different if somebody comes to me and says, this is what I'm doing and I find it helpful. And like, you know, for you, you find it helpful for reasons other than sleep. Now there are some people who use it, overuse it. And there are some narcolepsy like syndromes that can develop from having chronic marijuana use that can be very, very bad. And it can affect things Mm -hmm. like motivation and, you know, so, but if somebody's using it recreationally, I think of it the same as wine, like you're using it recreationally, you like it. It's a plus one in your life. I don't have a problem with it, you know? So apply the same logic as the wine. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like that's not ever anything you would recommend because that's more of a band-aid potentially. And you're trying to get to the root and change habits. So Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So another root cause we touched on stress, Mm -hmm. um, obviously we're living in an age of chronic stress. And when I think of people that don't sleep well, and especially in our business with hormones, uh, we do see a lot of people that have high nighttime cortisol levels. So that's that tired, but wired feeling and their brain is racing and they just can't shut off. So how often do you see stress being at the root of sleep disorders? And how do you start to change that conversation and calm the mind so that people are able to, to fall asleep? Yes. Stress is always a factor. It it is always a factor. I mean, I'd say 99% of the time it's a factor and more in insomnia than other sleep disorders, but stress in general exacerbates our, you know, our quality of sleep. We don't sleep as deep and we don't sleep as long when we're under stress. And Mm -hmm. so it's always a contributing factor. So the mind racing at night, you know, that's, that is probably one of the the most common things. One of the most common things that people say. So there's different strategies for that, right? I mean, for some people, exercise is a great stress reduction Um, For some people, it's I need to go for a quiet walk by myself. For other people, it's meditation. Um, But I mean, I think the key is really to provide an outlet for it. You know, for some people, it's journaling. Um, We have this strategy we use in cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia called designated worry time, where we have people set aside a time during the day. This would not be at bedtime. And we have them journal their thoughts or things that they're worried about. And so if you have, and psychologists have studied this, you know, having the racing thoughts, it's a function of being a conscious being. It's a function of the brain. It's something that happens to everybody. The amount of thoughts that go through our, you know, our heads every day is like, it's like tens of thousands of thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. So if you provide an outlet for them, then it kind of makes them less intense at night, you know? And then there's also the meditation and the mindfulness aspect too. So that when you, when you experience it, you can say, hey, okay, this is what's happening. You know, let me redirect myself. So we talked about the distraction. There's also the cognitive diffusion. So 
I'm having a negative sleep thought. My mind is racing on the fact that, you know, I have this deadline or I have whatever specific worry. And then you kind of go through that process we talked about earlier where you're trying to reshape those thoughts. Um, some people do more of like a pure meditation where they're focusing on their breath. And so they're, you know, saying, okay, my mind's racing, but I'm going to redirect my concentration, my attention to just my breath, progressive muscle relaxation, a body scan, whatever it is that works for you. Like I'm a very visual person. So when that happens to me, like I, it's very simple, but I just, I picture a place that I've been that I consider like the most peaceful place. And I just, I just try to focus. And every time my mind goes somewhere else, I focus on that. So those are the, some of the things. And I think you, you have to know who you're working with. You have to know what's going to work for them because that's not what works for me is not what's going to work for necessarily, you know, the next person. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Something we, uh, didn't talk about in our intro, but that has been helpful for me is, have you heard of the Dr. Wiles four, seven, eight breath? I'm sure there's a million variations of breath, but breathing in for four seconds, holding for seven and breathing out for eight, that is actually really effective. And that's been helpful Mm -hmm. for me. I don't know why sometimes when I'm in these bouts of sleep, it's like, there's this weird block where it's like, Oh, I don't want to do the breathing exercise (laughs) as if that's hard. Um, you know, and then the moment I do it, it does work pretty quickly. So yeah, that's just one I would, I would suggest for people, but those are great suggestions and you're right. It it varies per person. So, um, also for me, journaling was really helpful to get out all those thoughts and ideas. Mm -hmm. What about sleep and light or sorry, sound and light for your bedroom? I think generally, I mean, we want it to be as quiet as possible. Um, if there is sound, we want it to be, you know, a white noise or something that's not intermittent where, you know, it's quiet and then there's a sound. Um, so for people who live in the city, for example, they, they may not, you might not be able to get it completely quiet. You may need to, you know, use white noise, for example. Um, because the sound obviously, like, even if you don't actually fully come you know, to full consciousness, like when you hear a sound, like your brain hears the sound, you know, the brain breaks through the sleep to detect the sound. And we can see that when we record people's brainwaves, um, for light, uh, depends where you live. Um, I live in Seattle, so it's pretty dramatic how the light dark cycle varies. Um, it's light out until after 10 o'clock here in the summer and it's dark around four o'clock in the winter. So, um, you have to sort of make modifications, you know, for Seattle here in the summer, then we all need blackout shades um, because it's light out at 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m., and then it's light out at 10. So it's pretty dramatic. Um, But I need the opposite in the winter. I need bright light therapy in the winter. So um, in the bedroom, you you know, you want it dark. You want it to start getting dark a couple hours. And I say, I tell people dim light conditions. I actually just read in a listserv I'm on yesterday a review of some of the glasses that people are using, and the Mm. red glasses are the most effective at getting it dark, although you can't see as well in them. So, like, of course, you wouldn't wear them to drive, for example. Yeah. Um, So you kind of have to think about that. But the red are the best. The orange are a little bit better. And then the yellow filter a little bit more. I just, as a standard, have... um, those bedtime bulbs. Um, I think I use the Huga Huga health and I am not sponsored or anything, but I just, I put, yeah, I have orange bulbs in my night, my bedside table. 
So it just gets dark. Um, the night shift mode on our phone doesn't really work. I mean, I oh. think there's research coming out about that, that it's, it's not really doing anything um, because the engagement of our attention is sort of kind of trumping whatever light it's filtering out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want no electronics, you know, an hour before bed, you want it to be dim light conditions and then you want it to be bright. So I run these actigraphy studies on people and it's really interesting to see because we focus so much on no electronics, make it dark, but also people are not getting enough light during the day. I mean, you're, you can think like I'm sitting inside and it's very sunny out and the window's right there, but like, you're still in a cave, right? Of the six sides of the six sides, only one of them has light coming in. And the difference between how bright it is inside versus outside, it's, you know, it's orders of magnitude. And so, um, going outside for a walk, getting up, you know, even if you live in California where it's sunny all the time, it's more balanced, like if you're in an office all day, then you should have some bright light therapy or you should go for a walk at lunch. So those things, getting the light during the day is very important too. And when you get the light too, I would say depends on something called your chronotype. So are you a night owl? Are you a morning person? Those things would determine also the ideal times when to get, or when, you know, when to get light or to get dark, get darkness. So helpful. Um, how important do you think that going to bed at the same time every night and waking up at the same time is to sort of like train your circadian rhythm and kind of to piggyback off of that, if you're working with somebody who works like the night shift or has a really kind of unpredictable schedule, how do you support them? Yeah. So to answer your first question, the bedtime is not as important as the wake time. The wake time is the most important factor. And the wake time is what sets the circadian rhythm. It is a, you imagine that the brain has a conductor of an orchestra. When you wake up is like when you start playing, it's when everything starts playing. So if you wake up at the same time every day, and when I say wake up, I mean, get out of bed. Yeah, I don't mean like your eyes open. I mean, you get up because when you move around, the blood is shifting from our core to our extremities, to our muscles, our temperature is rising. That process is what entrains the circadian rhythm. If you get up at the same time every day, you will get sleepy the same time every day. The regularity in the bedtime will come from the regular wake time. Mm-hmm. So that it's a, it's a downstream loop. So I say, don't worry about the bedtime. Like let's figure out when it should be, but let's not worry about you aiming for it. Let's figure out when you're going to wake up. Let's focus on that. And you'll notice that you're sleepy at the same time every night. And we'll know when your bedtime should be from that. And do you think it should be the same wake time seven days a week? For optimal sleep? Yes. For the best sleep, to get the highest functioning, the best quality sleep, the more regular that is, the better. And ideally with my patients, what I'm looking for when I look at their sleep diaries is it's within an hour. There's less than an hour of deviation between all the days. Okay. That's actually really interesting because I pretty much wake up the same time every day, seven days a week. But if I like drink a little bit too much alcohol or something or stay up later than my bedtime, then it's harder for me, but I still make myself get up. But then I just give myself permission to fall asleep early. Cause I think sometimes we fight that 
And it's like, at least if I can get up at the same time and if I fall asleep at eight on a Sunday, that's okay. So to hear you say that the sleep time doesn't matter as much as the wake time, that's actually really helpful. And I didn't know that. Yeah, I would say the exception to that would be for someone with chronic insomnia. For someone with a chronic insomnia, we're going to think about that a little bit differently. Because Mm -hmm. with chronic insomnia, what happens is people try to force the sleep and they try to go to bed earlier when they don't sleep well. Um, And that's part of one of the perpetuating factors of insomnia. And so we change that temporarily for people with chronic insomnia until we, you know, eliminate some of these, these coping mechanisms. And then we, we bring it back in. But for, for, for you, like taking a nap or going to bed earlier, if you didn't have a good night's sleep, that's fine. But for someone with insomnia, we might approach that a little differently. Okay. Yeah. I've had, you know, my fiance, when I've had really bad bouts of not sleeping, trying to get me in by way earlier, and it creates more anxiety because I, I am a night owl and I usually fall asleep later naturally. So I'm just laying there with intensified anxiety Um, and even doing like a sleep meditation at night has given me more anxiety. So, you know, it, it's just interesting how it it can differ, but I'm also wondering about sleep length. I guess you're saying more, maybe that just that wake up time trumps length as well, but is, is it true that getting say nine hours or more I've heard is actually not a good thing that you can get too much sleep? Yeah, so there are some studies that look at sleep duration, but it's not really a cause and effect. Like, it's not that the nine hours of sleep causes the increase in, like, morbidity and mortality. It's that they're associated with each other. So it would be like saying, when it rains, the umbrellas cause the rain. They don't, the umbrellas don't cause the rain. The umbrellas come out because it's raining. So we think that the person sleeps more because they have some other disease or they have some other comorbidity. It's not just the long sleep itself is a comorbidity. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. Could be a sign of another underlying issue. If you're able to sleep that much. If you are sleeping that much. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. The other thing I want to say is if you look at a, a human alertness across the 24 hour day, it varies. It doesn't just have to do with when you woke up or things like that. It has to do with your circadian rhythm. And one of the times that we're most alert is right before our natural bedtime. And so that's another reason why it's very counterproductive for insomniacs to try to sleep during that time because you're trying to sleep at the most alert time. And if you're trying to get someone to stop struggling and arm wrestling and try to force sleep, that's like the worst time that they, you know, that's setting that person up for, you know, for a struggle. Right. So that's another reason, but, but if someone's just very sleep deprived, because like you said, you know, you were a little bit hungover or you just didn't get a good night's sleep for whatever reason, then it's not going to be, it's not going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so interesting about, cause you do think that like, Oh, maybe I just need to get to bed earlier. And then you're just setting yourself up. Wow. That's so crazy. So I'm actually really interested if there's any, cause there's so many sleep trends and fads and supplements and products. Is there anything that you just kind of think like of the trends and fads are just sort of BS that you warn your clients against? Um, I wouldn't say BS, but what I try to tell my clients and what I really believe is 
and I think this is where my expertise as a medical doctor and as a neurologist comes in is that, you know, sleep is a state of the brain. It's very redundant. It's very hard to like, there's not one place in our brain where sleep comes from. It comes from a lot of places. In other words, it takes a lot to extinguish that ability. Like there really are, there really is no disease. There's only one I can think of. And it's extremely rare that causes people to have a form of insomnia that is like life threatening. Right. And so what I want to teach people is you don't need those things. You don't need a supplement. You can learn to sleep on your own naturally, you know? And what I want people to know is like, you can learn that, you know, and I, and just stop the pattern of thinking like, Oh, I just need this gadget or I just need this. No, you actually don't. Everything you need is inside of you. Everything is there. We just need to retrain you to sleep because sleep is something we learn. It's something we're trained to do. It's not necessarily something that, you know, it just, it does just happen. It is a physiologic need, but there's a training and a shaping that's, that's involved. Well, that kind of leads me into, cause we talked about in the intro, how our dad just has struggled with insomnia forever. And he was working with a sleep specialist who kind of has had him wean off everything he was doing. So he was taking melatonin, CBD. He was drinking like a turmeric beverage before bed. He was doing all of these things. And she basically is trying to get him off of being reliant on any of it, even if it's natural and to just go in the other room and maybe like read or meditate until he's tired. So what are your thoughts on that? So, I mean, to me, I would really gauge like for your dad, like whether any of that stuff helps. Okay. And so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with turmeric. I think melatonin can be really helpful depending on how old your dad is. There is some evidence that our ability to produce melatonin decreases as we get older, especially as we get into our sixties. Um, I think people think of melatonin as I'll take more and I'll take more and I'll take more and more is better. And that's not how melatonin works. So I, I kind of try to get people on like what I think is the right dose. Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't, I don't really wean people off supplements so much if I, if, if I, if they feel like it's helping because like turmeric, for example, has anti-inflammatory properties. It can be beneficial for other reasons, but, um, what I do is I try to assess, is that part of the struggle? Because sometimes that's a manifestation of the struggle of like, I'm not sleeping. I need to do this. I need to buy that. I need to find this supplement. I need to take that. And so I just say like, let's just decide what you're taking. Let's just have that be a constant. That's what you're taking now. We're not going to worry about that now. And now we're going to work on everything else. You know, mm-hmm. let's just come, let's yeah. just decide what you're going to be on. And it doesn't have to be nothing. But let's not worry because then people, what they do is they end up laying in bed or they end up having insomnia and they're thinking, should I take it? Should I not take it? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll take it at two o'clock. Maybe I'll take half of it. Maybe I'll take this instead, you know, and that's what you don't want. You just want that to be not in the equation. Like you were saying earlier about not wanting to talk about things or manifest things that you don't want to manifest. So you just don't want that to be part of like what's going on in the head anymore. You just want to say like, we decided this is what I'm taking and that's it. That's such a good point. Like I just do this as part of my routine. Don't even think about it anymore and not let that be something that you then worry about all night long. Yeah. 
Sounds like a very compassionate approach, which I love. Mm. And, you know, it sounds like you're not saying you're doing, you know, X, Y, and Z wrong. Let's start with where you're at and just kind of take it piece by piece. So very happy to have found you. Thank you so much for sharing all of this wisdom. I learned a lot and, you know, I shared in the intro some things that have helped me and I still am a work in progress. I don't like having, you know, I do take CBD has helped me. I do think a lot of this, I know it's mental, you know? So if it's a placebo for me and that works, like I'm sticking for with it for now, but I would like to continue to learn and move beyond that. And I love what you said about, we have the tools inside of us and it can be free and we don't have to spend all of these money and just constantly be looking for something to be our magic cure. So thank you for your wisdom. And can you share with us where people can find you, your Instagram, your website, and to work with you, to inquire about working with you? Sure. My, uh, Instagram handle is sleep doctor mare. And then my practice name is sound sleep guru. And my website is soundsleepguru.com. Uh, I am licensed in California, Washington, and Alaska, and I do telehealth visits. So you can schedule with me right on my website. You can do a, like a free informational call, um, or you can just call my number and we'll find a time to talk or send me a message to my website. Awesome. That's so great that you do that free informational. Yeah. People listen up, go her way because I'm so, I'm so intrigued by so much of what you said and can't wait to share your information with our dad too. Yeah. We'll put all of that in the show notes. So thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful weekend, restful weekend ahead. You too. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. So that is definitely an episode that I'm going to have to go back to and re-listen and take notes because it was just packed to the brim with wisdom and tools and honestly information that I've never really even heard talked about before when it comes to sleep. So I'm sure you guys are feeling a similar way. And I know that I'm really looking forward to sharing a lot of this with my dad to hopefully help him sleep deeper. I know Rye, who had to bounce for the day, is looking forward to incorporating some of these things into her sleepy time rituals. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. What were your takeaways from the episode? What are you going to start to implement? Even if it's just one little golden nugget, we would love to hear from you. Tag us in your posts at solo 2.0 podcast. And then if you get the chance to rate review and subscribe to the podcast, that's the number one way that we grow. So Last but not least, remember that even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight, so be patient and kind with yourself and good things will come. See you next time.